Hi there, this is Gary Turner from the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I had the pleasure of welcoming Hans Jurek, who is an experienced talent partner, onto the podcast this evening. And a really, really engaging and exciting chat, to be honest, with Han. Um, A number of the areas that we covered were topics such as why do we still feel the need to justify investment in human potential? Um, Really, really interesting discussion, I felt. Han is absolutely obsessive about receiving and seeking feedback, something that I've rarely seen in another human being. Uh, Absolutely craves feedback, and I just think there's a really interesting and diverse discussion around feedback, feedback systems, the barriers to seeking and receiving um, effective feedback. So anybody out there that has uh, any form of interest in feedback, I think will find this podcast interesting. She also spoke about safety being key for for the for being vulnerable in the world of work and she explains what vulnerability means to her personally i think i've really seen some common themes coming through these first eight episodes of this podcast around the need for psychological safety um, to be able to allow people to be the very best versions of themselves we then had a discussion around performance reviews Um, i'll let you dive in and listen to to where we went with that conversation but I think the key the key message that I took away from Han in this area was, you know, we need to be as organisations setting up our people for success and not to fail, which sometimes performance review processes do. And the final part of this introduction, um, which really sticks out for me, is what is what or who is inspiring her the most right now. She gives a really detailed and passionate explanation as to who's inspiring her the most right now within her within her work career so there's an awful lot to get involved with in this uh, this podcast i do hope you find it interesting unfortunately there is some interference at different parts during the podcast but please bear with that Han, yeah Han's a very interesting person got got experience and wisdom well above and, and ahead of her years and i truly believe that you'll find her desire for feedback both for this podcast and within her world world of work very, very interesting and engaging, and both of us look forward to your feedback on this podcast. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This evening, I'm really excited as I can see the amazing Han Turek in front of me. Good evening, Han. Bye. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, absolutely awesome. Thank you very much. So thank you for joining me this evening. Um, Just for anybody that's listening. So I first met Han via Twitter, as so many of us do. But I had even more pleasure recently to meet Han face-to-face, which is uh, really, really exciting. So can you give a bit of an introduction to yourself? So what's your background, what you're passionate about, and what you're doing for work at the moment, Han? Of course. I have to, because you've given away my secret identity now. With uh, (laughs) Everyone knows what I look like now. There's no hiding. (laughs) My background is predominantly recruitment agency side. Um, I did that from when I was 18. Very young and moldable, um, as always. Um, And I actually moved overseas to New Zealand and Australia for three or four years. Um, And whilst I was there, I moved over more into people and culture consulting. So looking at culture and values-based behaviours how to build the right culture for organisations, leadership, learning and development, org dev, all of that kind of stuff. 
um, a bit of talent on the side, which was my actual job, but I did have to be reminded about that a few times. <laughs> and so I've very recently come home back to the UK. I'm living in London now and I'm really excited to be able to take what I've learned over there because in my opinion, they're quite a bit more progressive okay. um, and come here to the London scene and hopefully start to show people the organisations what they can be. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so what, what, what did you learn the most when you, from your travels and, you know, sort of working over that side of the world that you feel was more progressive than what you're seeing maybe now or in your sort of experience today? What do you think you can bring from that experience into, into sort of this side of the world? That's a really good question. And I think their mindset there is very different. I was living in Melbourne, which again, Australia is a huge place. And so I, my views have come solely from Melbourne and Australia and then all across New Zealand. Um, but culturally they're very different and they're a lot more open socially um, with, you know, sharing friends and they're just a lot more laid back with meeting new people. And I think that really translates into the workplace. And um, they just are a lot more chilled out about things. And so when we're talking about trialing new initiatives um, and shaking things up and implementing new you know, cultures and, and behaviours and that kind of thing, and they're a lot more receptive to it. They don't necessarily need as much of the really hardcore facts because I think ultimately they understand that we're all just human beings um, in a way that I think the Brits were kind of like a bit in denial. Um, okay. We're like robots and that we don't have all of these feelings that we have so that's really really interesting actually because just before we came on the podcast we sort of joked about the whole scientific background evidence base and I think what you've just described there is really fascinating for me is I do think particularly in the UK but maybe to some extent Europe we're still very evidence based is important I get it justify why we've got to do something invest the money but we don't do that we buy a bit of plant okay you do it with a bit of plant but like you know, why why do we have to keep justifying investing in human beings, which for me is like one of the biggest appreciating opportunities in the whole world, yet for some reason we've got to justify that. What's your sort of take on that? I totally agree with you. And I think that it is really frustrating because the people that we're trying to convince are also humans, right? And so it's almost like we're saying to them, like we're not talking to them about whole other species that they need information to understand. You know, they should be able to just like, reflect on that a bit and think actually I am I am this is what I would benefit from and therefore my employers would feel the same way um but I think a lot of it is particularly in larger corporates and um, I think it's very different where I work most now being bigger corporates it's once you get to a certain level your focus changes mm. you're much more driven by things like the bottom line um, and the company objectives and the people that you're dealing with and that you yourself have to persuade are there, you know, a kind of C-suite level and it just becomes a whole other conversation. And as much as I would love to rule out all the evidence-based stuff, I think there's always going to be a place for it, unfortunately. But we can dream. Yeah. And how does that look from you sort of working in Australia? Was it, was it, is it a similar sort of situation over there at that sort of level? Because, you know, we, we, we could well, I could well imagine, and I see it with my organisation and others as well, that... Yeah, certainly the higher up you go to some extent, the less close to the information you are. And as such, yeah, you become a little bit more of a of sort of myopic numbers focus. Did you find that that, you know, that openness and progressiveness in Australia even went as high as the C-suite, in your opinion? It was, did, yeah. And I oh, think they, they were almost, so over there I worked mostly with 
big multinationals, you know, mm -hmm. banks, energy companies, people that we would typically think um, are perhaps not as receptive to things like wellbeing programs and uh, a bit more traditionally masculine, I suppose. Um, and I say that with gritty teeth. Um, but they, to me, it seemed like, as we were going in as consultants, we were seen as these kind of experts and they were just crying for us to inspire them. And so for them, it wasn't, we did have to go with facts and evidence, but for them, it was how we made them feel that made the difference. And I just don't think that works here in the UK. I haven't found that that's the case in big corporates. But as I said, startups, I'm finding is actually very different as well. So it depends. Mm, okay, so that's interesting. So I guess for, for anyone that's listened to the podcast so far, they'll know that three of the key themes that we look at on here are around sort of vulnerability, self-awareness and inclusion very much around a sort of well-being sort of focus um already you've sort of got into i, I was just sort of starting to question as, as we speak and around you know this sort of vulnerability you know is are we basically saying then that to some extent the national culture over there and the sort of australia is a bit more open it, they are more aware they are more vulnerable to new ideas new suggestions they don't need all the answers themselves is that part of that do you think is there okay okay so, so what does that mean to you well what you know if i was going to ask you as hands so what does what, what, what would you describe what would your personal definition of vulnerability mean what does that mean to you just out of interest i think vulnerability for me is feeling safe enough authentic self no matter what that looks like. so from a work perspective that's finding a place where I can go every day where no matter what I'm feeling or what I'm going through or what I'm thinking or the ideas that I have, uh, it's just putting it all out there with, and I can't say no fear for the response or repercussions of that because I think that as humans, we are biologically programmed to feel a bit of fear, but knowing that it's the right fear um, and that actually the people around you are people that would wholeheartedly support you being open with them. And would be that open with you? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 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 no. It really, really does. We we keep coming back to this sort of Jahari's window. Have you heard of that? This sort of blind, it's about blind spots. So actually, so quite often we show, we it's like a classic two by two grid. But ultimately, there's elements of it that you show people, and there's stuff that you know about yourself that you don't show. And there's there's a big area called the arena, which is basically what people see in you and what you see in yourself. And the idea is to try and make that arena as open as possible. So that you can try and yeah be, be as much of yourself as possible, and that's what I'm taking away from what you described. There is this, you know, you finding this space, as big a space as possible, to be yourself and to be able to throw those ideas out and get feedback. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't want it to be a thing that I, ha I have to consciously think about every day. Mm. To go into the workplace and think, oh, do I feel? Am I being vulnerable today? Do I feel safe enough to say this thing? I, d I don't want it to be a thing that I am. Um, deciding on a daily basis and for me that's that's been the reason why i have taken so long to find a role the role that i'm in now is incredible um and it's perfect for me um but it took a long while to get there it took me four or five months to find the right role because the other organizations when i walked in there and met with the team i didn't i felt that it would be as unconscious for me to do that it would have to be an effort um, and there's nothing wrong with that you know but for me it's just if I knew I could find something where I could fit better, where I could be myself. That's, that's, really, that's really powerful for me, actually, Han, for you, for you to, have, you know, to know yourself so well 
that I'm not going to put myself into anywhere because I know what I need to get that's a sort of to make me sort of bring up as much of myself as possible. That's really powerful. It's been a journey. Um, and I, I feel really privileged that I've experienced an environment like that already at my role at Inspire in Australia. Um, and so I think if I hadn't had already experienced so many of the characteristics that I need, I wouldn't be able to find them so easily. But once you're exposed to them, there's no going back. Once you've been in an environment where you feel so passionate about what you're doing, the people around you are so talented and collaborative and amazing on a personal level. And once you've got all that together, it's really hard to go back to something where you don't feel like you belong as much. So mm -hmm. they ruined, they ruined me. <laughs> Very close to moving back to Melbourne and just saying, this is it, I'm here for life now. London doesn't have what I need. Um, but of course, it was just well hidden. <laughs> That's oh, so powerful. And I'm not going to ask your age because a man never asks a lady your age, but I know you're not as old as me. And for you, you've got very, you've got a lot of experience and wisdom in you, Han, which I think is really impressive, genuinely. You well, know, I, I can take no credit for that, though. It's um, it's the people I surround myself with. So, yeah, but there's something in that, though, isn't there? Because I, I think I've, I've read quite a lot recently around this: you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. There's a, I've read that in a few different places, and I sort of, if I think about that. I think my personal growth definitely the last two years and meeting people like you as well. I think the more you do surround yourself with people that help you grow and challenge your thinking, you know, it's definitely better than being stuck around five people that continually bring you down or the negative or they're always seeing the worst in something. So, you know, you, you give other people credit, but you're, you're picking those that you surround yourself with, Han. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I think it's, it's something that I won't compliment on. Um, and it's the same reason and we talked about this very briefly on Twitter the other day. It's the same reason that I go into a job and I'm constantly seeking feedback over and over again. Every week I'm driving my boss insane. So I'm like, just tell me anything, like anything you've heard that's constructive or, or positive, you know? Like I just I want to know everything because I want people to constantly be saying to me, Could you've done this differently, or why did you do that? Or like talk me through your thoughts. And so I think that it's if I'm not surrounding myself with those people and my friends as well, you know, we've I've got a friendship group that we've been friends since we were somewhere since we were two somewhere since we were five and so over 20 years and the, our friendship has changed so much over the years and especially in the last five or so we've become those people for each other now that we're all settled into our careers and I just think without that like we just stagnate I think I think that's amazing for you to be craving the feedback that you do that is so unusual and for me that demonstrates how positively vulnerable you are you know for you to be op so open to feedback i find that quite incredible that's that's not that common um in what i see and i'm i'm really intrigued by this now because you know how much of that is how you got molded in in, in australia and how much of that is just you i'm sure it's a combination of both but your absolute vehement desire for feedback i find that fascinating you know do, 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 do you, are you finding that in your the work organization the clients you're working with i can't believe that's so common um, I don't think it is common and it's not necessarily, I'm not saying it's the best way to be either, you know, it's important <laughs> to be, but I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everybody should immediately go out and start doing this because it obviously has pros and cons like everything. Yeah. Um, everyone has different priorities. For me, my view is to constantly keep, um, and that's, I think that actually stems from the love that I have for what I do. I care so deeply that I'm changing people's experiences. And the only way I can do that is to keep getting better. 
um, if I was in a role that I didn't love as much as I do or if I was um, working for an organisation and I wasn't so aligned with our purpose I probably wouldn't be the same person. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that makes perfect sense. I know, I know, of my experience, the last sort of three or four years getting into this sort of people space, I, I, to, I totally get it. I totally, totally get it. And if you are misaligned, it's uh, yeah, you're not going to show as much of yourself. Fundamentally, it's a career change for you because you just so you're such an integral part of my people experience in the UK as well. I always forget that it's um, it's all relatively new for you too. We're all in it together. We're all in it yeah. together. <laughs> but no, no that's, that, that, that's, so, that's so awesome. No, but the, the feedback thing, I spoke, spoke to quite a lot. So on David Marquet, who we had on, on the last the last episode, spoke a lot about, you know, the importance of feedback and the ability to, you know, to, to really tap into what he called the potential that's on everybody's shoulders that we're just not doing enough right now. And I think, you know, you're really role modelling for me in a real, genuinely, you're really role modelling for me how, you know, to ask, ask and see feedback like you do, I think it's incredible. So, you know, how important do you think, okay, you've described for you how important feedback is for you. You're obviously demonstrating a level of vulnerability to seek that feedback. How important do you think feedback is generally as part of an organisational design, as part of an organisational culture? You know, sort of, is it crucially important? Is it fairly important? Now, what's your personal take on that, generally? It's crucial. Okay. And I think that the people that you get the feedback from, it needs to be right as well. I don't think it's enough to have, even if you've got really well-defined feedback loops or feedback processes, um, I don't think that's enough. I think you need to be looking at the people that you're seeking that feedback from um, and then following that through. What are you doing with it? And is there a follow-up? So not just asking what you're doing with it, but then actually checking back in, in one month, three months, six months and saying, okay, well, actually... This person over here, who, by the way, has a completely different role, completely different exposure to the business than I do, and completely different opinions and backgrounds, you know, so you've got that diversity of thinking, get them, make sure those people are involved in your feedback loop, and make sure those people are holding you accountable for what you're doing with that. Um, so I think, short answer, very important if it's done right. If it's done wrong, it's a waste of time. So can, can you elaborate on that a bit for us? So what, 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 in your opinion, what does wrong feedback look like? How could it be wrong or, you know, relatively pointless, politely? You know, how, how does that show up? What does that look like? I don't think it's the feedback itself that's wrong because feedback at the end of the day is opinions and um, evidence driven by, you know, our own bias and our own experiences, which are all completely different. Mm -hmm. um, the feedback itself is not wrong i just think that the way that organizations go about it for me could be improved and um, and that does come down to where they're getting it from and um, and what they're doing with it so yes they're collecting really great feedback from the relevant people but then the changes they're making are they linking back to that are they making it centric to the feedback or they've got the really great feedback but it's coming from the same five people every month they're working with um, and so if you you know if you've got a great 360 team feedback loop that's excellent but where's the diversity in that actually because the closer you get as a team the more aligned your feedback will be and if you're doing that on a monthly or quarterly basis there's there's no room there for growth outside of that and so i think it's really important that you're shaking it up a bit is that something you do in your sort of your personal and your client work then is around that sort of diversity of feedback. Is that something you're quite conscious of then when you're designing your solutions? 
yes, definitely. Um, it's slightly different working consultancy side because we only have access to the people that we have access to. Um, so for us, we have to be really proactive in seeking that because if we don't, it will never come our way. And so in the talent space, for example, if we're doing, if we're doing really simple hands-on recruitment, we'll be working with HR or the internal talent team. We'll be working with the hiring managers. We're seeking feedback from the candidates as well, the ones that both get the jobs and are rejected. Um, and we're, we're covering that whole process. We're going to the senior leadership team and saying, hey, are you seeing the value in your organisation and us? Um, and so it's not just going to the one person you're working directly with, but it's trying to broaden that out. Mm. So, so I'm going to get into a little bit of a hot topic right now, see what your view is, Han. So I'm in link to this whole sort of feedback um, loop. So the, the, is the annual of review, <laughs> performance oh, review yeah. dead? Is it dead? <laughs> so, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm really intrigued because it's just, everyone's got their view. I think everyone's pretty much putting it to the... Uh, putting it into a proverbial bin, but I, I, I'm really intrigued on your view on it because sometimes I think the great thing about Twitter and other social media is you, we, we, we get, there tends to be sometimes, I think, a bit of a bandwagon approach and people stop actually challenging. So, oh, yeah, I agree, I'm going to cast that aside as well. And it's like, okay, but why? You know, why, why are you saying that? And I'm really interested in what your view is on the general sort of performance review approach. You know, you spoke about feedback. Should it be continuous? Is, is half yearly enough? I'm just wondering generally what your your take is on reviews as a process generally? I, firstly, I just love that you question why on everything, Gary. I think that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I think that the annual form, the, the more formal structured performance review has a place. I don't think getting rid of it completely is necessarily that beneficial. Um, on its own, it's not enough, in my opinion, as we talked about, I think feedback is important but also we need to remember that the whole point of a performance review is not for the organization to sit there and say you have passed you have failed this year but actually to look at that person as an individual and what they're trying to achieve um, and so it's it should be binned. if you if you feel like it should be binned it's because you're not doing it right um, and yes feedback should be continuous and so once a year isn't enough however every six months or every 12 months is a really good time to actually have a month deeper dive because nobody's got time to do that once a month to really deep dive and spend a couple of hours looking at what are you, what are you, what what did you want to achieve have you done it how did you find that journey um let's look at the feedback that we've got and what we've done with it um let's look at you personally professionally um once a year it's not enough when priorities are shifting and our goals are shifting like my career has taken a massive turn in 18 months and so if I was having annual performance reviews, I'd get nowhere because <laughs> um, which is why I think it's not enough. But what's what's the disadvantage of having a time when you actually get some hours and you get really good feedback and you, you make a plan? The plan might change, but actually what's the harm? I don't think it's a waste of time. Mm, I, I really like that. I, I like your use of the words deep dive, actually. That's, that's a really interesting point. I, I've not thought of it that way. I, I think my, my personal history of sort of annual or half year reviews to date has been pretty poor, generally, and I think for most of my career, and I think it's coming, I don't know if it's generational, I don't know, you know, we're still coming out of the old commander control. I think it's still t used too much as a punishment tool. Do, do, do I give this person a 3% rise or they get a 1%? Here's how I can hit them with a stick. And I think, in my opinion, I don't have enough exposure yet. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's what the that's why everyone's trying to can it because they're linking it to performance and money. 
rather than actually, as you've said, what is the process for? Why is it even in place? Is there something more than just trying to dictate who sits on what scale? And I think it seems to be a bit of confusion as to why it's there rather than that it's good or bad. Yeah, I agree. A lot of what we were doing in Australia was breaking that bond, actually, between compensation, remuneration and performance reviews. Okay. And it's, there's a lot of arguments saying that, actually, if we don't link the two, then how do people know how well they're performing and if they'll get a raise? Um, I mean, that's the bad, is it? Well, why are you waiting until the end of the year to tell them anyway? Yeah. <laughs> if something in month three that they weren't doing and you're waiting until month 12 to tell them, they haven't, you haven't given them any opportunity to rectify that. Um, to improve and grow themselves. Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of what we were doing was breaking that bond. Um, so, yeah, I think it has a place. It's not enough. Um, and linking it to money is not necessarily the right thing to do. It also really encourages a cookie cutter approach. So you've got a standard form. You've got the. You've got how that formula translates into a pay raise, and you're applying that to every single person. And um, even if it's not tied to pay, I still think you need to take a really individual approach. So how I would want a 12-month review to look and what I would want to cover might be very different to how you would. And so actually it's a leader's role and the employee together to partner on that and to say, okay, well, your, your 12-month review is coming up, your six-month review is coming up. Obviously, obviously, we've been having all these great conversations throughout the year and we've been getting 360 feedback in a dream world. Um, however, now we've got the chance to really dive into what that means. What do you want to get out of it? What do I want to get out of it? Um, and tailoring it. You know, there can be there can be a high level structure but I think the where we go wrong is just assuming that it's applicable to everyone Mm. especially roles like my role is a consultant and so I'm solving completely different problems on a daily basis dipping in and out sometimes I've got 30 problems I'm looking at sometimes I've got three and so having the same annual review questions and process for me as I don't know HR administrator or a customer services rep or someone who manages 40 people when I manage none, you know, it makes zero sense to have that in place. It's really interesting. I say, Gary. <laughs> Pan, I just, I, I, I just wish, I just wish I knew you three years ago, you could have saved me about a six months of pain and toil and heartache as I redesigned our previous process. And it's just like, Oh my God. Honestly, no, no, but it really resonates. Use words though, doesn't it? It's, but the, 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 the thing is, though, I think nobody resonates so much for me because this, this, if I look at you know, some other organizations, you know, I've worked at, you know, in my work at the moment, it's still relatively that cookie cut, cut approach, if I'm honest, which is that regardless of the role you're in, you are still asked similar questions. You are still, yeah, it, it's not individual enough. And I really like that statement you just made is, you know, if, you're, if your leader or your manager knows you well enough, in the end, the form should almost be. Yeah, it's really just there for a deep dive. I really like what you said there. You know, be individual, have a, have a deep dive, regular, regular catch-ups. It, sh- it should never be an issue, should it, at the end of the year, whether or not you get your pay rise, because should, everything should already be backed up and so easily, just like rubber stamp. Let's have a chat, bosh. There you yeah. go, we've been communicating all year. Set you up for success, not to set you up to fail. Yeah. So, the common question, so I bet you get asked, um, what has gone well this year? What could you have done better this year? Um, and so it's like okay well what have I struggled with this year like I said earlier it happened seven months ago um, there's like nothing about it but well this year again it happened three months ago I should have achievements on a monthly basis you know if I'm doing something right on a weekly basis on a daily basis I should be able to say what's going well so 
for me, I just think the questions we're asking, even if you are going to stick to annual, the questions that we're asking are just not conducive to like a holistic view of either the person or the work that they're doing. Mm. No, that's re re really interesting. No, really, really interesting. God, I could talk about you all day on just this bit, but I won't. We'll say we'll say we'll say that for a lunch at some point. <laughs> We're going to come back on this one. We're coming back on that. Yeah, to finish that conversation. <laughs> I'm still going to come back on it anyway. <laughs> so moving forward a little bit, if we look at other sort of aspects, so sort of like inclusion, because I think you're sort of what I'm hearing and sensing from from what you're describing is by actually having this deep dive, having these regular check-ins. That sounds to me like that's also lead, lending itself. To being a fairer, more inclusive process as well. Would that be a fair comment? Yes. Mm. Yeah, because I'm guessing ultimately, if I look at some of my, my past again, if you leave it till nine, ten months later before you have that conversation, certain people who might be closer to the MD or those that might be more in favour suddenly find that they're able to maybe get bigger raises or better perks, or whatever, because if everyone's only been viewed in the last three months and certain people somehow get that bias, that's something I've experienced in the past. Yes, so. I agree. And it also lends to the idea that people can only progress once a year. And so, like you said, it's the person who is in the best position, essentially in that month, in that week, they're having this conversation that gets those opportunities. Whereas if I was somebody who is, I don't know, part-time, for example, or, or I work remotely, um, three days a week or something then I don't have that face time with my boss to have those conversations around what I want to achieve how I can do it quicker and I've got to wait potentially longer to have those conversations and I've got to wait potentially longer again to go through that review process when there's somebody there every day saying I'm doing this look at this work that I'm doing um, and if you're not capturing that from people for example who are working remotely if you're relying on that only happening once a year then you're just missing a whole chunk of what they're doing and it really is limiting their development. No, perfect. No, great. I'm going to go a little bit of a, a go a little bit left field now. I'm going to ask you: Are you a, are you a reader? Are you a, are you into your books? Are you into researching? You know, current trends and progress. I guess with you, your progressive nature, you're quite into sort of forward-looking ways of working. Is that a fair comment? It is. Yeah. I so I'm a bookworm personally. Okay. I, I read several books a week. Um, oh, wow. and like I'm one of those really annoying people like, I read my Kindle when I walk, walk to work in the mornings and then I walk into trees and just people <laughs> my hair, big hair it gets stuck in branches it's really frustrating <laughs> um, so I read, I read when I clean my teeth like I, I, I always have my head in a book like I can't help it um, however interestingly I generally gear towards fiction I don't read like I've read some of them I've read some of the big ones you know I've read Drive and I've read Power of Habit and, mm -hmm. but I don't I struggle with them actually because I want to get to the point faster when it's something like that like I don't want to have to read that many pages on it and so often I actually lean more towards um white papers articles like twitter like for me people the chats that we take part in I know that you and I are in a lot of the same ones like for me I'll see a phrase that interests me and then I'll just go away and research it online um okay. and a book has to be very 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 highly recommended for me to delve into it if it is something that's along the lines of human behavior psychology leadership that kind of thing okay that's really interesting so you're much more sort of at the points of need it sounds like so if it's something that's floats your interest or you're you're inspired by something you're going to have a look at that point in time rather than lose yourself in a book for for two weeks for example oh, that's very efficient i like it 
Oh, I like. I wish I read more books that were aligned to what I do, but I don't know. I think because I have these conversations with people every single day, sometimes I just want to get home and like lose myself in a world of like souls and magic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> don't don't blame you. So, <laughs> so, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a, a view, actually, as to because I saw that you've been exchanging some messages with our friend Simon online about setting up one of these these was it world circles? I can't. Remember. What, what are they again? So. Can, <laughs> working out loud circles that's it we're so so I'm very... i don't know tons about it yeah um, you're so being brave you're taking the lead on one yeah i know apparently so um <laughs> I, uh, I actually so i've read a lot of, um so i've heard a lot about it should i say when i was in a, um somebody that is really big on twitter who i think you follow helen blunden i actually met her for a coffee ages ago I always spoke about a role or something ages ago, um, and I've been following her ever since, and she talks a lot about it. Okay. Um, but in a, in a slightly different way. So she's, for her, working out loud is more about actually just capturing your thought process as, as you're going. Right. Um, and just helping people to understand, you know, where, how you get to the solutions that you get to. Um, and I find it really interesting. It's a very brave thing to do, to, to do a one-take shot of what it is that you're thinking at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I understand from what, I'm about to embark upon with some people. It's a quite a structured twelve-week program, um, using the same principles to achieve a goal. Um, but there's a circle of you all in it together, and it's once a week. So it's a lot. It's a lot more structured, and so I'm really interested to see how it works when it's coming out loud. I don't quite understand how that happens when you're planning your calls. So I'm like. I guess my short answer is I'm absolutely clueless, but I've heard good things and right. I'm willing to try because I mean, I could read about it for a month, but what's the point when I can try it? I love it. I love that experimentation uh, side of you, Han. I think that's great. And uh, thank you for pushing me into it as well. So I'll be really intrigued to see. I'm really interested in that though, because I think if you look from a learning development point of view, there's so much, you know, there's, there's so much out there around new, you know, new ways of working, of course, blended learning, 70, 20, 10, you know, you know working out loud. There's, there's so much stuff everyone's talking about. And I think sometimes just like, just doing what we're doing now. Yeah. Eh? Let's not talk about 70, 20, 10. <laughs> We won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> why don't you want to talk about that? <laughs> How long have you got? We've got a couple of minutes. Go on, go on give us your view on that. Give us your view on 70-20-10. What's your take as hand on that? I think it is inefficient for learning evaluation. Okay. In one sentence. Yeah. Uh, it also describes that you fit your delivery methods to fit a ratio that somebody made up once upon a time, a really long time ago. Um, and so your priority is not what does the user need what do they want what are their barriers how can they access this but instead oh okay let's well this has to fit in the 10 percent, and we've already done this so therefore we have to look at this channel and i also think 70 percent on the job learning okay go show me an organization that accurately measures that on the job learning <laughs> great point where are you getting the 70 percent from like you're just it's all just yeah <laughs> It's like bits of fluff in the air that you've gone. Oh, there's seventy percent of those. Okay, I feel very strongly about it. I like everything else. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you sort of stopped us on that point there, because you sort of question, I question quite a lot. You know, 
how much has this narrative moved on, right? I've been in this area now for the last three or four years. And I've done a lot of research in my CIPD, you know, L&D, OD, chart member, all that nice stuff. But the conversations haven't changed much. Like there's books from the 70s and 80s. They're still talking about the same stuff. Get a, get a seat at the top table. Why won't they talk to me? Why am I not seeing? Should we change the name of HR to something else? Like the same stuff just keeps churning around. What should, why, why does that keep happening, in your opinion? Just out of industry. People having those conversations. That's why. And this is why I am like such an advocate. And I know that you've, um, see me do this a lot about saying to people why are we talking to other HR people about HR challenges like I for me I look at service designers I look at UX designers I look at people who are designing problems with a truly centric mindset and who are trying new things who are testing and adapting which is something that we claim to do in HR but we're not agile actually um, and so we're, we're having the same, it's, what's that definition of insanity, right? We're having the same conversations with the same people and then expecting different results. And it's actually, if we're keeping this conversation within HR, we're never going to get anywhere. We need to be bringing other perspectives in. Just the same as people who work in, for example, service design. It's a relatively, it's not a new skill set, but it's a job title and an industry that has bloomed massively over the last five years because we're bringing people from different backgrounds to make that happen. Um, you know, UX designers and, and visual designers, they don't just look at other visual designers, you know, they look outside of that. Um, and it's, I think that's the one thing that frustrates me the most about the HR community, myself included in that community, is that we just expect us all to have the answers and we're so inward facing. It drives me a little bit bonkers. That's really, really, really interesting that, really interesting. So I, was, I was actually in Portugal yesterday and met up with someone, someone else who I met via the Corporate Rebel Slack group quite recently. Um, Juan and he's basically a scrum master but he's now getting into coaching and I have to say you know we've had great chats in the past as well with you being in Australia I think you know it is it's ironic isn't it that diversity and inclusion seems to fit underneath the HR banner yet the function is probably the most one of the most exclusive setups that we've actually got in the organization yet it has the biggest opportunity to be more inclusive yet you've just described the fact so eloquently that we're not that inclusive as a, or it's not in, that inclusive as a function. That's, that's, that's quite, that's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's and quite... The people that, even the events, you know, the HR events, some of them are amazing. You know, we have some great talkers um, who speak about amazing projects and these achievements that they've made, which have truly impacted a lot of people and they have changed the organisation for the better. Um, but I, I don't just want to hear HR people talking about the HR work they've done. Um, at these events and like for the everything I've just said it's just it's inclusive. This, inclusive it's really fascinating so I had a call I won't mention which events company it was but they rung me yesterday to say Gary just wondering what, what do you want to hear about in future events and this is genuine word for word and it's important other people can hear this and I said oh chat 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 yeah it's good good this year the event had a great speaker xyz what would you like to see Gary in future events I want to see a lot more about emotion, how people are leading at the top with vulnerability, self-awareness, inclusion, what are the difficulties in actually doing that as an organisation? Oh, we're not going to get anyone to stand up in front of thousands of people to talk about that stuff as a leader. That's what I was told by leading global events company yesterday afternoon. So I love what you described, and there's a real-life example from yesterday as to why the narrative is not changing. If the exhibition companies won't push the envelope, then why should everybody else? 
push the envelope. So really interesting. So I'm not going to go on a rant today, but I just wanted to, I thought your point was great. And there's a real life hot off the topic example. We're not going to find anyone to talk about vulnerability and emotion in, a, in front of thousands of people. It won't happen. And I was like, and I actually said, I said, I would. I said, I'll do it for you if you want. No, no problem. She's like, I'll have a word with my manager. I was like, okay. So really interesting. Really, really. Stopped by that because it's not, that's an assumption that they've made. They've got this amazing platform with so much potential. And actually, how many leaders have they reached out to that have said no? Or is that something that they've just decided is the case? I'd be really interested to know if that's evidence-based or if that's them going, oh, stigma of vulnerability. Really interesting though, but what I've really enjoyed about our chat so far is you sort of, you start with what is vulnerability, you know, what does it mean to us, etc. And you really go really quickly to, actually, you know, if everyone in that part, you know, if everyone in an, organiz in an organization isn't on the same page, then, you know, this, this stuff isn't going to shift. So I'm just wondering, yeah, well, we, we need another podcast. There's too many other questions coming out now. <laughs> But, but, but your, your point's brilliant, though, around, as you say, the other parts of the business. I think that's so, so important. And I, I, do, I do think it's been good this year. I think I saw at one exhibition some of the stuff like Perry Timms has done with River Island, where they really are genuinely moving towards, you know, Scrum and Agile HR, you know, retrospective sprints. So they really are setting up their HR function around that methodology. But they're really rare. They're really unique. I don't, it's certainly not the norm. I don't know what your view is on that. My view on that is very similar to my view on the exclusivity of HR, and that is that these big corporates are looking to other big corporates to inspire them. And why? Mm. So big organisations, big corporates, lots and lots of pros. From an HR perspective, lots of potential because organisations are often very siloed. You've got lots of different hierarchies to play around with. Um, there's already generally quite a strong culture, if not consistent. Um, for you to work with, mm. whereas on the flip side, you've got startups in their early phases are very driven by the founder um, versus that kind of manufactured culture. Um, everyone does everything because there's no defined roles, there's lots of blurred lines. They try things quickly and fail because they have to, otherwise, they're never going to become, they're never going to scale up, they're never going to become one of the big corporates. And so, I think that one of the challenges that big corporates have is that they are looking at the wrong organizations. So they're looking for other companies to show them how to be agile. Um, and even the consultancies they use, their other clients are big corporates. And so actually they should be looking at the startups and going, okay, well, they're managing to do it organically. How? Like, why, why is that? Because actually a team at the end of the day is a startup, you know, within, within a bigger framework. So I think that it's the same exclusivity, but on a grander scale. God, I don't have much hair, but it always buzzes when I talk to people like you, Han. I've now got this, no, but I have, I've really got this sort of like, that's really fascinating. It's almost, it's almost like groupthink on the biggest possible scale. So I'm a big corporate. There's no way I'm going to look down to this lowly person that's a startup and learn from them. I need someone else that's a similar size to me to learn from. But of course, that's just most, that's just like global groupthink, isn't it? Yep. That's really interesting. I've never thought of it like that. I actually only came to that conclusion today when, I was, um, when you reminded me that we were podcasting tonight. Um, and I was just thinking about what, what I would love to explore with you. Um, and I just suddenly thought of it. And I thought, actually, 
there's something in there that I'm sure lots of people have already covered it, but I just haven't come across it yet. And so I thought that would be a good thing for us to talk about and something that I would like to see us talk about in the HR community as well is that where are we getting our inspiration from and why? You know, what, what assumptions are we making about the people who are doing this well? Mm-hmm. Who are we not considering? I think you've just got the next HR hour, leaders hour, and self-care weekly um, scheduled for the next month sorted, Hern, I think. But joking apart, I think we need... Behemoth chat with all three hashtags. But, 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 but I think you're coming... <laughs> but to some extent, you're coming back to something more fundamental, I think, which is, you know, I can talk, like I say, we talk about vulnerability, inclusion, self-awareness, all these other things that, you know, I care about, I know you care about. But we're almost trying to... It's almost like we're trying to find our way as to what... You know, who do we want to be? You know, why do we want to exist? You know, as organisation, I think there doesn't seem to be enough. You're great at asking why. I know I ask why. But I'm just sensing that there's just so much panic as organisations at the moment. No one's able just to go. Do you know something? Let's just be who we are. Let's run with it. It's like they're doing that. I want to copy it. Or actually, no, they're now doing that. Do we change that direction? Oh no, technology's too fast. It's like people don't know who they are. It's almost like they're sort of schizophrenic organisations at the moment. I don't know. I don't know what your take is on that, or if I'm babbling. I know I'm babbling, but... <laughs> um, I think, I, I know where you're coming from, um, but I think they're, I, I, this is a bit of an oxymoron, but they are panicking, but they're panicking within their comfort zone. Um, and so, as a big corporate, they're panicking, but they're panicking in a very small space with other people that are similar to them. And so it's like, they're, they want change, looking outwards for the, ne- the next thing, but they're, s- they're not actually leaving their comfort zone to do it because that would require them as an organisation and as individuals because let's not forget that an organisation is a collection of real, talented, creative humans. Um, so on an individual basis and an org level, you know, they're not, it would require them to be vulnerable, which is the point of this podcast. And it's, so I do think that they are, not comfortable remaining the products that they're doing now, the services, how they're doing everything, because there's so much hype around innovation and agile. But ultimately, they're still comfortable doing what everyone else in their in their group is doing. Mm. I don't think I phrased that very well, but you get where I'm going. <laughs> no, you did. No, you phrased it perfectly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Totally with you. Gold. We're going to need another podcast, Han. That's no joke. We've got too much. We've got too much more to explore. Too much more to explore. So, what's what's inspiring you the most right now in terms of your sort of work, or you know, what, what's really, really firing you up right now? Whether it's something that you're learning, or you know, a group of people you're with, you know, what's just really inspiring you at the moment right now? So, a lot of my inspiration right now is coming from the CEO of the consultancy that I work for. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I work for a company called Create and Adapt, and we're we're out to disrupt the recruitment industry um, and I know disrupt is a buzzword and we claim to hate them but we all love them secretly so let's stop pretending um, we're disrupting the recruitment industry um, and so we've got there are various ways that we're doing that but the main one is that we offer in so we kind of partner like an in-house team but on a subscription basis so it's scalable for organizations um, but hearing my CEO talk about it it's just amazing because he is ex- he's exactly 
the same as the person I worked for in Inspire, which is why I found him so also inspiring, is that they're very aspirational. They are constantly challenging, like similar to you and I, Gary, they're the ones that are saying, okay, but why are we doing this? Like, let's fix the way this is being done. Let's break it first though. Um, and then let's fix it in a better way. Um, and just asking the right questions and the way that he is approaching what we're doing. Um, so as an example, a lot of the hands-on services we offer is recruitment. Um, we're branching out a lot more into wider consultancy, but ultimately the work, current workload now is recruitment, but we're not hiring recruiters. Okay. It was um, people that have proved themselves as entrepreneurs, um, people that are really passionate about both startups and innovation and doing things differently, um, and who don't come from a hands-on recruitment background, because that's a skill that we can train. But right. that mindset, the mindset to come in and break things, and to be a doer, and not just a thinker, but actually a combination of both. Um, the way he's approaching growing a business is, I find it really fascinating. Oh, it's just, God, I'd love to meet him. Well, this sounds inspiring, to be honest. And I think, you know, just how you've just voiced that as well. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Very, very good idea. Well, the, the thing is, just what you described just then, so eloquently, that is so what not, that is so not what so many organisations are. No, terrified to try and break it. Don't want to change what's worked for the last 20 years. You know, there's so much fear around even looking at something that flexes the business model. I certainly see that in, in, in certain organisations close to me. So your idea of learning from, you know, different sectors, different sized organisations, you know, why wouldn't you if someone like your, your organisation was open to do that? Yeah, exactly. And I, I've been really privileged to only work for small consultancies throughout my career. Um, so I've actually never worked, I talk a lot about the challenges of big corporates. I've never worked directly for one. I've always consulted mm-hmm. through another uh, agency or a third party. And so I'm always a kind of a contractor going in there to solve a problem, which means I get exposure to all these gnarly challenges. Um, but then I get to go back to this really great, like forward thinking, very fast paced startup that's willing to try things at the end of the day. Um, and so, I just think everybody should do that because I cannot talk about it enough about having the exposure to both sides of that. Like it's, I don't know what I would do without it. Right. When you're um, a couple of levels up, you know where I am, Han. You got my phone number. Give, it, give, give, give me a shout. I'll come and work for you. I'll be ready for that. I had that authority now. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I bet you do actually. I'll still come and work for you. So look, <laughs> I guess we better throw it to a close. I can't believe we've been going for nearly an hour. So, I'm hoping that, like, <laughs> listeners stay with us because there's so many nuggets Thank in this. You're so Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's brilliant. There's so much in this, though. And I, what I love about podcasts is we can play it back, listen to it, and, you know, just, just basically reflect on this again because there's a, so much good in this around, let's like, say, whether it be inclusion, vulnerability, you know, performance reviews. How, and I just love what you described about how different types of organizations of size and sector and function should be learning from each other and not in these echo chambers of more of the same. That's a really massive takeaway for me, Han. So thank you for that. Really, 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 really big takeaway. So where can people reach you? Where can people reach you on social media or, or other aspects they want to connect with you, Han? Um, mostly Twitter. Um, I use Twitter solely for these kind of HR people, culture, these sort of things. And very occasionally I'll retweet something chat related, but mostly it is um, HR stuff. So... Um, my handle is, I'm actually not sure what my handle is. I think it's at Hans Years. So H 
S-Z-U-R-E-S. Um, I'm not really active on anything else, to be honest. I'm on LinkedIn if you want to connect with me. I'm really happy to do so. Um, I don't particularly proactively use it, though. I think Twitter's probably the place to be if you want to challenge me on anything that I've said um, or ask me any questions, and I'd love to just connect with people doing what we're doing. Oh, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, I'm going to add, I'll add your handle anyway to the, the show notes so people can connect with you, Han, anyway. And I'll say for anybody that's listening, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have it. I'll, I'll, I'll go into Twitter and find it anyway. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's been lovely. Really, really good chatting to you. Thank you for challenging me and challenging our listeners. I think you're going to get a few challenges back. I hope you do, because I know that you're, 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 you're clearly desperate for more feedback. So listeners, give Han as much feedback as you want. I think... <laughs> Fantastic conversation. Anything else that you want to sort of add as we, as, as we wrap up? Any sort of other areas of interest for you or any sort of point, anything you want to point towards that you think other people could be looking at right now from your experience? Um, I think that as this is, a, uh, I guess, what you and I are passionate about, what this podcast is aiming to do is to show people the value of vulnerability. Um, I think that one thing that I, I was hoping that we'd have time to talk about, which we haven't, because um, we natural way <laughs> when we're together but is that remember that self-care is not just an individual thing and so I was I think get, get other people involved you know in your own vulnerability I think that's something that people should take away from the conversations that we're having is that we're talking about it and it doesn't always have to be a conversation about what it is um, but just be making those connections and remember that without those connections that's when your self-care is in jeopardy nice so, it's not individual it's it's about this it's about what you and i are doing now which is why i love having conversations with you gary because we're always so open to each other and we go up just really quickly because self-care yes it's inwards reflecting but it's not individual mm. that's that's really powerful no, th thank you for sharing that and just just for any listeners so han very kindly um is one of the co-facilitators of our relatively new hashtag self-care weekly twitter chat which will go out live again this evening at 8 p.m. GMT, and Han very kindly, you're going to be leading this evening's session as well. And also a little shout out to Vicky as well, who, who also helps us out with this once in a while. But Han, thank you for being so passionate, so open, and so driven to try and make the world a work a better place. So thank you for that. You too. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Love it. Look, we'll keep in touch. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Han. Thanks. Your host, Gary Turner here, just wrapping up the recent podcast with Hans Jurek. A few of my major takeaways from the podcast this evening were the comparison and difference between the Australian um, clients that Han worked with and those that she's worked with in the UK. There seems to be something about the national culture, although this is very much a general comment, but you know, for multinational banks in Australia to be so open to progressive ways of working, um, just seems really, really interesting. And from my experience, certainly within the UK and Europe over the last three to four years, quite alien. Um, so there seems to be an awful lot more, a, lo a lot more fear at the top of organisations in Europe compared to Australia. So something I'd like to, uh, to try and understand a little bit more. It also makes me think about the arguments around national culture trumping, trumping organisational culture. Um, please, please, uh, accept the, uh, the use of the word trumping. Um, also, I really enjoyed um, Han's comment where she spoke about when we're trying to convince 
um, leaders to invest in other human beings. She made the quote, which I made a note of here, that the people we are trying to convince about investing in humans are also humans themselves. That's a really poignant, poignant and fascinating um, quote for me and something I'm still actually digesting. Isn't it fascinating that the very people that hold the purse springs, the very people that actually say yes or no to investing in other human beings, indeed should actually be looking at themselves to be developed. Maybe that's part of the gap. In terms of what her own personal description of vulnerability means, she looks at this as very much around being safe. So being safe and able to put out any idea in the spirit of openness that she feels um, that, that she feels is relevant and, and could be of value. And I think the other really important point that she touched on is that she doesn't want to have to consistently have to think, is it okay for me to be vulnerable today or do I have to change and keep soft to myself tomorrow because maybe somebody else's viewpoint has changed or the culture of the organisation feels different or something below the surface is impacting her ability to, to be able to speak up. And I think that's a really important point that we should all reflect on is yeah, if things are always in the moment. We know that we live in the moment generally. But you know how tiring and how painful is it to have to switch between being able to be yourself and then have to actually hide behind the mask on another day because of a certain situation occurring at work. So this heavily links into self-care, which is one of our key focus areas um, every Tuesday at 8pm GMT with the hashtag self-care weekly Twitter chat, should, any be in- should anybody be interested to join that. I also really enjoy- enjoyed Han's challenge around the diversity of thinking with feedback being key, where she talks about, you know, HR at times is sometimes its own worst enemy because how often does HR actively go and talk to the other departments, like whether it be sales, IT, marketing, you know, how often do they actually go and sit with those peers and colleagues and ask what their needs are? And again, this is very much a general comment, um, but I think it's a very worthy and provocative one to be putting out there because, you know, the the rhetoric hasn't changed. We're still talking about the same challenges um, for HR. Not an awful lot has changed, certainly if I look at the text over the last uh, 20 or 30 years. So something's missing. Um, And potentially this diversity of thinking and genuinely working across the business for solutions and on a a needs basis could definitely be part of that solution. I really enjoy that Han is so open and so positive about experimentation um, to the point with the new working out loud circle that she's actually going to be leading. She, she made the comment, you know, I can read about the working out loud um, approach or I can just do it. So I've gone, to, I've, gone, I've gone ahead and I'm just going to do it. And I really respect her, yeah, her, her commitment and her desire just to get stuck in and try new ways of working. Things really, really inspiring. Also, and just a final point to wrap up, she spoke about HR generally not being agile, um, in, in her opinion. I used the example of River Island. Um, there's certainly been some really good work done there from what I can see. But in her, to, to her experience and to her belief, Agile is not actually that agile um, today. And yeah, there's certainly the potential to do so. The, the, you know, I, I'm still learning myself in this particular area, so I'm not, not the best person to comment. But I would certainly say that you know, not an awful lot has changed over the last years. So something needs to shift that dynamic. And I think all of us pushing inclusion, all of us being vulnerable not to have all the answers, pushing those senior leaders that we work with and for to be more vulnerable and more inclusive has to be a key to try and unlock some of the uh, the potential that is on top of everybody's shoulders. So I really hope that you find this interesting. 
I, I do apologise a little bit for my uh, slightly erratic approach to this podcast. It was a very exciting one for me. I really enjoyed how the conversation flowed with Han. But hey, this podcast is all about authenticity and everyone being natural in the discussion. So hopefully that doesn't put you off attending another one. All the very best for now and uh, thank you for listening.